Sometimes, the Celts would carve out turnips and place embers in them from the fire to help ward off these evil beings. Does that sound familiar? Carving a vegetable and shoving a light in there? Ireland didn't have pumpkins, but they sure did have turnips. Welcome to A Popular History of Unpopular Things, a mostly scripted podcast that makes history more fun and accessible. My kind of history is the unpopular stuff, disease, death, and destruction. I like learning about all things bloody, gross, mysterious, and weird. Now, before we begin, just a reminder to support me on Patreon. Putting out episodes takes a lot of time, and your support will help ensure that the podcast keeps going strong. I appreciate any help you can give, and thank you so much for being a fan. Happy Halloween, AFAP fans! This is the best time of the year. The weather's getting cooler, the nights are getting longer, at least for the Northern Hemisphere anyway, but Halloween is a match made in heaven for all the things we love here on the AFAP podcast. Spooky, scary stories, lots of ghouls, lots of ghosts, it's perfect. So I figured, why not explore the history of Halloween? Where did it come from? What are its roots? How and why did it change over time? Now, at least for the US, Halloween is associated with setting up your spaces with elaborate decorations, giving out candy to kids, watching scary or spooky movies, maybe tucking up under a blanket and hoping Michael Myers doesn't come busting through your door, right? Now, of course, Halloween isn't celebrated the same everywhere. In Mexico, though some kids will go trick-or-treating, the holiday is tied up with Dia de los Muertos, which takes place November 1st and 2nd. Different holiday, though. It's not Mexican Halloween. Different holiday. Italians don't really celebrate the same way. They'll celebrate All Saints Day, which is a Catholic holiday that honors the dead. We'll talk about that later. That factors in. But in Ireland... Halloween is taken to another level, and with good reason, because what we recognize as Halloween began in Ireland, and it was an ancient festival known as Samhain. And by the way, Samhain is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So it looks phonetically like it should be pronounced Samhain, (laughs) but it's not. Samhain. Gaelic is different. So today, I want to learn all about Samhain, a Celtic pagan holiday that began more than 2,000 years ago. We'll learn all about it and then trace how it changed over time to become the diabetic nightmare that it is today. So let's get started. So I'm primarily focusing this episode on the ancient Celts who lived in Ireland, Britain, and Scotland. To understand the roots of Samhain, we need to talk about Celtic mythology. It's really fascinating stuff, actually. Now, there are eight days that are really, really important in Celtic mythology. You've got two equinoxes, two solstices, which should be familiar to you if you study other European mythologies, right? The summer solstice is called Letha. And it means longest day, which makes sense because it's the Midsummer Festival, not Midsummer like that horror movie. Definitely less death. So for Letha, you would light a fire in your home to keep the fairies away, but not good fairies like Tinkerbell. We're talking fairies that try to trick you. If you're a Shakespeare fan by any chance, it's the kind of fairies you read about in Midsummer Night's Dream. All right. Evil fairies. More on those later. 
The other solstice, so if Letha is the summer solstice, the other solstice is Yule, the winter solstice. And it's where we get the Yule log from, right? It's the opposite of Letha, so it's the shortest day of the year, the longest, darkest night. Then there are two equinoxes, the spring equinox, or Ostra is what it's called, and the autumn equinox called Mabon, M-A-B-O-N. And there is an even amount of light and dark on these days, the midpoints between the Letha summer solstice and the Yule winter solstice. For those of you paying attention, the solstices and equinoxes have to do with both lightness and darkness, right? Ancient Celts organized their festivals around light and dark. But at the midpoint of the equinoxes and solstices are four fire festivals, and I'm going to go through them all starting with the beginning of the calendar year, at least our calendar year, not the Celtic calendar year, but our calendar year, because they all take place on the first of their respective months. So it was nice and easy to remember. So again, to quickly recap, you've got two equinoxes, two solstices, and kind of in the middle of all of those, four fire festivals. So starting with February 1st is Imbolc, spelled I-M-B-O-L-C, Imbolc, which marks the beginning of spring. It's a fertility festival that heralds the coming of new life. There are cute springtime baby animals, the flowers are coming back to life, all that good stuff. It's halfway between the Yule winter solstice and the Ostra spring equinox. All right, so that would be Imbolc. After the spring equinox, we get the first day of the season of light, where there is more lightness than darkness. It's called Beltina, though we usually just pronounce it phonetically nowadays, and that's apparently acceptable. We call it Beltane, B-E-L-T-A-N-E, Beltane. It's more commonly known around the world as May Day, celebrated on May 1st. Beltane means bright, which makes sense because it's the first day of the light season. After Beltane, we get the summer solstice. The summer solstice. <laughs> I keep saying that wrong. Summer solstice. Letha. Between the summer solstice and the autumn equinox is Lunasa, the beginning of harvest season, and the autumn celebrated August first. The pronunciation is much simpler than the spelling, but I'm going to spell it out anyway for you for consistency's sake. I hope I don't lose you here. All right, it is L U G H. N-A-S-A-D-H. So phonetically in English, it looks like Lugnasad. <laughs> but Lugali for us, it's just pronounced Lunasa. Lunasa, right? Whew. Anyway, so here's a fun fact about Lunasa. Uh, there are often hand fasting ceremonies where couples will intertwine their hands together with a woven belt known as a kriosh literally, quite literally, tying the knot, which is where that phrase comes from. My husband and I did this at our wedding, actually, and it was a really lovely nod to our English roots, even though I don't think we have a lot of Celtic blood left in us anyway. Now, the fire festival, rather the final fire festival of the year, which takes place between the autumn equinox and the Yule winter solstice, is the topic of today's episode, Samhain which happens on November 1st. So let's talk more specifically about Samhain. Of the four fire festivals, again, that's Imbolc, Beltane, Lunasa, and Samhain, Samhain was considered the most important because it's harvest time. 
Communities would gather to finish the harvest, leaving their hearth fires at home to burn out. When the harvest was done, they would join the local druid to light one big fire as a community. Now, fire, as you can imagine from very early societies, was very, very important. Many ancient cultures, in fact, revere fire. You've got Ra in Egypt, right? The sun god, who was also a god of fire. In Greek mythology, you might recognize the name Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods to give it to man. And Hephaestus was the Greek god of fire and blacksmithing. His Roman counterpart was Vulcan. There was even a Greek goddess of the hearth, Hestia, and the Roman version was Vesta. The Yoruba in West Africa have Ogun, who is the fire god and patron of all things metallurgy. In Japan, one of Shinto's major deities is Amaterasu, goddess of the sun. In Central and South America, we've got the Aztecs, the Mayan, even the Quechua of the Andes. They all have sun gods. And the list goes on and on and on. My point is that pre-modern cultures have all revered the power of the sun and of fire, really basic elements to life. For the Celts, it was more than just this one festival, by the way. Each of these four days were associated with fire in some way, and really, Beltane, or May Day, was the really fiery one. Fire was really important to each of them because the Celts thought that it had protective powers. If you walked around a fire or jumped over the fire, it was thought to bring fortune, protection, happiness, and fertility. Fertility for both people and their livestock. So it's no wonder that on Sawin, when the fires were left to die so the community can finish the harvest, they were gathered together for a big community fire. And eventually, each villager would bring some of this fire back to their homes to relight their cold hearths. But the holiday goes beyond honoring the harvest and relighting your hearth, right? I mean, we know that some of our modern Halloween traditions root back to Samhain, and so far, it doesn't sound like there's any connection. Patience. I'll get there. Now, remember that Samhain is between the autumn equinox and the Yule winter solstice, right? It's the beginning of the dark half of the year when there's more night than day. As such, the Celts believed that this crucial day, the beginning of the darkness, is when the thin veil separating our world from what they call the other world is at its thinnest. And on Samhain, all kinds of evil creatures can cross over from the other world into ours. And on the top of that list of evil creatures was the fairies, called the She, which is spelled S-I-D-H, by the way. She. Sometimes, the Celts would carve out turnips and place embers in them from the fire to help ward off these evil beings. Does that sound familiar? Carving a vegetable and shoving a light in there? Ireland didn't have pumpkins, but they sure did have turnips. And since we're talking about food, by the way, they would also give out food and sweet treats to the community on Samhain. So let's talk about the other world. I just mentioned that, right? Also, I love how mythological this episode is. It's a really nice change of pace from my usual slate of cannibalism and explosions and otherwise bloody things. Still creepy and spooky, just less gore. Anyways, the other world. It wasn't just home to evil fairies. The other world was a home to all supernatural figures, including Celtic deities, and sometimes humans who strayed in there accidentally. It's also possible that the dead passed on to the other world, but it's important to note that it's not... Don't consider it like heaven or hell. The Celts didn't have those concepts. Instead, they actually believed in reincarnation, and it was possible that their dead would kind of 
show up in the other world after they passed on from ours. Some stories describe the other world as a paradise where people would enjoy eternal youth, good health, they would be joyful, they never wanted or needed for anything. Sounds nice. Now, I'm simplifying things here a bit, but there are two main realms within the other world. There's the she, where the fairies and stuff are, spelled S-I-D-H-E. And then also High Brazil, which was an island out in the Atlantic, which doesn't actually exist. But I'm concerned with the she. The she was where the gods and the fairies lived. And sometimes it's called the Long Barrows or the Hollow Hills. But anyway, they live within the she. Now, if a human... If a human found him or herself falling into the other world, it was usually going to be on one of those four fire festival days, Imbolc, Beltane, Lunasa, or Sawim, when the lines that separated these worlds blurred together, right, on those four different days. But both Beltane and Sawin was where that line was considered to be at its thinnest, meaning that you could be pulled in, you could fall into the other world. During Sawin, it was commonly thought that both fairies and the souls of their dead, right, living in the other world, could cross into ours. And some sources suggest that the Celts would dress up like fairies or ghouls to confuse the ones that crossed into our world, which might potentially save them from being attacked or forcibly dragged back to the other world. Other sources dispute the dressing up part, though, because the Celts didn't actually leave written records for us to read. What we know comes from oral tradition and what Catholic missionaries wrote down when they came a converting. And that is where our story goes next, because at some point in the 8th century, that's the 700s, the relatively recent Christian holiday of All Saints Day was moved to November 1st, which coincided nicely with Samhain. All Saints Day became a thing on May 13th, 609 CE. Pope Boniface IV dedicated the Pantheon of Rome as a church to honor the Virgin Mary. Bon- is it Boniface? Bonifatch? I, lo- I always pronounce it Boniface. I'm going to go with Boniface. Now later, in the mid-700s, Pope Gregory III changed the date to November 1st when he dedicated a chapel in St. Peter's Basilica in honor of all of the saints, not just a handful of them, so now recognized as All Saints Day, November 1st. Now, way before any of that, Christianity had spread to the British Isles, and it was amongst the Celts. By the early 5th century, that's the 400s, Christianity had crossed over into Ireland. It wasn't super successful at first, mind you, but it was there. But slowly, over time, as monotheistic religions tend to do, the people converted. And one of the keys to that was the way that early Christian missionaries adapted to local celebrations and traditions rather than completely replace them. Another example of that is when the Christians went over to convert the recently conquered Aztecs in Mexico in the 16th century. That's the 1500s. They combined local Aztecs' beliefs with All Saints' Day, creating what later became Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead. And it's called cultural syncretism. I'm sorry for any of my AP World students who happen to be listening to this who just had a weird flashback. Cultural syncretism, combining two different cultural elements together into a new thing. Voodoo is like this too. It's a combination of Catholic beliefs with the Yoruba's Vodun beliefs. The Yoruba are an African people, typically from Nigeria, Benin, and Togo in West Africa. Anyways, back to the Celts and Catholicism. 
Now, when missionaries first rolled up into Ireland and tried to spread Catholicism, you can imagine it did not go over well. <laughs> Pagan Celtic beliefs are so, so different from Catholicism. I mean, if you've ever been around very religious Catholics or very religious anyone, to be honest, they typically shun paganism, right? When All Saints Day moved to November 1st, which is Samhain, and it honored spirits, right, because All Saints Day, you could see perhaps how the two combined and morphed into something new, cultural syncretism again. All Saints Day took on some of the characteristics of Samhain and vice versa. And All Souls Day was moved to November 2nd, which is another link to the pagan Celts who believed that their dead could walk amongst them again on Samhain, right? Apparently this did the trick and the Celts started converting to Catholicism. The word Halloween, by the way, comes from All Hallows' Eve, the Eve of All Saints Day, because Hallow means holy, right? All, all Holy Eve. So the night before All Saints Day, All Hallows' Eve, October 31st, later became Halloween. So we now know that Samhain transformed and was melded, molded, changed with All Saints Day. And we know that Halloween comes from All Hallows' Eve. But how did that turn into trick-or-treating, spirit Halloween stores, and terrible costumes, right? Well, let's talk about immigration to the United States. No, really. <laughs> That's where it starts. So some of the earliest colonists who came to Britain's New World colonies, the Puritans, would have known about these traditions, actually. And yeah, I know, the Puritans weren't exactly fun. In fact, a friend of mine called them fun sponges, which is amazing, and that's how I describe them now, fun sponges. I put that in my script, actually, for the History Buffs episode on the Crucible, which also drops this Halloween 2023. Now, the Puritans shunned Catholic holidays like Halloween and Christmas and Easter and the whole lot. So in New England, you know, the heart of the Salem witch trials, which, by the way, is my second podcast episode, so give that a listen. Not a big fan of Halloween. Right. But other early settlers in the middle colonies, like maybe Maryland, would have celebrated. Colonists would have gathered with their indigenous neighbors to celebrate the harvest, share stories of their dead, hand out sweets to the kids, dance, sing, you know, have fun. Oh, and the Americans, by the way, were the ones to use pumpkins instead of turnips, because pumpkins are indigenous to the Americas, much more abundant than the original turnips. So that's where we start having pumpkins carved with lights inside them to ward away evil spirits. I bet the Puritans were secretly super jealous that they didn't celebrate. Sounds like a lot of fun. I feel like the Puritans are really repressed. Now, in 1820, British author Washington Irving wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which is a very American ghost story centered around Halloween. In fact, it might be the first American ghost story. <laughs> now, this did wonders for Halloween's popularity in the U.S. If you haven't already heard of this book or watched any of the movies or shows about it, there was a movie starring Johnny Depp. Sleepy Hollow, it tells the story of a soldier who lost his head in the American Revolutionary War. And at night, he rides around looking for his head so he can reunite it with his body, be whole, and move on into the afterlife, right? He's kind of stuck here looking for his head and he can't move on until his body's whole. Now, the book itself is actually about a guy who relates this ghost story and it's a whole thing and there's a love affair and it's just, it's a mess. But anyway, my point is the book really popularized ghost stories, the macabre, death, all things spooky. 
Halloween, right? But this wasn't the main influx of Samhain's traditions. That didn't happen until the Irish arrived. The peak of Irish immigration to the U.S. was between 1845 and 1855. And if you want more details on that and why and why that particular period of time, go listen to my episode on the Irish potato famine. It's number 22. That feels like a really long time ago. Jeez. Anyway, with Irish immigrants came Irish traditions, right? And Halloween, Samhain, was part of that. Remember that all the spooky parts of Samhain were connected to the Celts, right? About a thousand years ago. That doesn't mean that all of the Catholic world practiced Halloween and All Saints Day like the Celts. So just because we've got Halloween happening in the New World doesn't mean that it's going to look like the way it was practiced in Ireland with Samhain and the fairies and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, the whole Catholic world doesn't celebrate Dia de los Muertos, right? That's a Catholic holiday. But, I mean, it's not a Catholic holiday, but it's celebrated in a Catholic country and has Catholic roots. The whole world doesn't celebrate Dia de los Muertos, so it would also be a mistake to assume that the whole world celebrated Samhain. Now, interested in these new Irish traditions and mythologies, the American public loved the idea of Halloween. A new cultural syncretism was happening. A combination of traditional Halloween and Samhain beliefs with the growing American culture of the 19th century, that's the 1800s. Halloween remained a community event, as it kind of always was. You'd dress up in costume and go door to door, asking for food, maybe some money. Younger girls would even attempt white magic, which is doing little tricks to find out the name of their future husband. Go listen to the Salem episode for more on white magic, or maybe go watch that Crucible episode on History Buffs on YouTube that I mentioned. But that's where the trick comes from, right? And we know that it goes all the way back to the ancient Celtic Samhain days. There were treats to celebrate the harvest. So trick and treat. Trick or treat. Over time, Halloween in the U.S. became less secular. That means less religious. It wasn't about celebrating the saints or honoring the dead. It was about communities coming together, sharing candy, celebrating the macabre with fun costumes. It took the community aspects of Samhain and made them uniquely American, meaning revolving around money and sugar. And when the movie industry picked up Halloween and started making spooky films about it, like like Halloween, right, Mike Myers, then it really became part of our cultural traditions. And apparently, Americans collectively spend around $6 billion a year on Halloween, the second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. So this Halloween, just remember that the traditions that started it all, the Celtic Fire Festival of Samhain, are really the roots of the holiday. And try to remember that the boundaries between our world and the other world are at their thinnest. And on that cold Halloween night, when ghouls and fairies are all around you, you may be dragged away into the supernatural realm. Hopefully, you'll have a big old bucket of candy to keep you company. Thank you for joining me for this episode of A Popular History of Unpopular Things. My name is Kelly Beard, and I hope you've enjoyed the story of the history of Halloween and Samhain. Thank you for supporting my podcast, and if you haven't already checked out my other episodes, go have a listen. You can also support me and the show on Patreon. Just look up A Popular History of Unpopular Things and join as a cannibal, an explorer, or a historian. I really appreciate any support. Be sure to follow my podcast, available wherever you listen, so you know when new episodes are dropped. And stay tuned to get A Popular History of Unpopular Things. Uh-huh.